guys, and welcome to episode nine of Talking to Trailblazers. My name's Jack Corbett, and proudly today, on behalf of Business News Australia, I'm going to be having an in-depth chat with one of the Gold Coast, and to be honest, Australia's most disruptive entrepreneurs with whom has found themselves in the health, uh, nutrition, and supplement space, and is very quickly becoming one of the most spoken about and sought after individuals in that industry. So Mike Kellett, Macro Mike, how are you this morning, my man? What's happening, bro? Nice to to connect. Thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, have some good chats and whatnot. Yeah, thank you. Because I know, mate, at the moment with you having um, a consistently expanding core business, but also now adding some other strings to your bow. I know you're an extremely busy man. So thank you for putting aside 30 minutes, mate, to to have a quick chat with me. Um, I'm going to start off for everybody's benefit. If you haven't heard of Macro Mike, um, today is going to change your perspective in terms of tasty nutritious treats that you can change for the current chocolates or Tim Tams or biscuits that you're eating at nighttime. So mate, give us a quick rundown. Who or what is Macro Mike? Yeah, for sure, man. So I mean, you know, super quick overview. Um, I'm gluten and dairy intolerant and I spent, you know, a good portion of my time prepping for various fitness and bodybuilding competitions. And I saw like a real gap in the market for, like you said, clean, um, nutritious alternatives for, you know, generally unhealthy treats. Like you mentioned, Tim Tams, for me, it was like pancakes, waffles, brownies, cookies, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, saw a bit of a gap in the market Thought, look, let's, let's give it a go. And here we are four years later, pioneering the sort of, you know, we're we're sort of pioneering the forefront of the natural plant-based nutrition industry, which is pretty awesome. So yeah, it's been quite the journey. Yeah, it's amazing because when, when I first ever um, caught sight of what you were doing, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, mate, you're about four years into this now? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, about three and a half, January 17, we officially launched. Yeah, lovely. And throughout that time, it seemed like it went from being a small scale, almost like hobby based production where Mike was producing some gluten and dairy um, intolerant products, you know, or for, for intolerant people. But then, all of a sudden you went from being really making things for yourself to making a few things for those in your network to making things for our city of the Gold Coast, suddenly becoming arguably, yeah, the number one pioneer and and largest distributor of this type of good in all of Australia. Um, Talk to me about hyper growth and what do you feel caused it, number one, and how have you held on to the reins of something that's trying to run away from you so fast over the last couple of years? Yeah, 100%, man, and heaps to unpack there i think definitely like um you know we, we what started as a niche sort of product for like you said people with gluten and dairy intolerances kind of i guess the the products um have have really been like what has caused i guess you you mentioned like hyper growth and that's just due to i guess us kind of yeah completely transforming typical gluten-free typical dairy-free typical vegan products um, that generally taste, you know, pretty naff, like gluten-free stuff tastes like cardboard, mm-hmm. vegan protein tastes like sand, you know, there's no kind of getting away from that. And I guess what we did was we made like a niche product into mainstream mass market. So, so not just people that are gluten and dairy intolerant or not just people that are plant-based are like, Oh, you know what? I'll have a dabble on those. They're telling their friends about it. And these people are like, 
yeah, wow, like this is, I don't even care that it's gluten-free or dairy-free. This just tastes like next level and it, you reckon it's good for me? And, it, you know, I think that's what caused our hyper-growth was switching from that niche, um, you know, super small market to then going into that sort of mainstream um, and everybody loving the products basically, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, as a man that has a, an admitted sweet tooth myself, I always did say as a youngster, the, the, the man or woman that could create lollies that would give you a six pack was going to be a billionaire. Um, you know, and maybe you haven't quite yet found the lolly that I can just eat that gives me those chiseled abs. But um, I think you're taking one big step in the right direction. And it's funny you said to me, that really this business only started because it was solving Mike's problem. And I think there are three types of entrepreneur, in my opinion. Um, I believe I'm what I would call a type one, which is I'm relatively uneducated. I have little to no skills or attributes. I don't come from any level of privilege or, you know, uh, a socioeconomic status that has given me a platform from which I was able to go and get first class education or, you know, take over my father's business, for example, right? So I started on my entrepreneurial journey as a 14 year old, because financially, I had to, my mother was bankrupt. Um, She was a cancer patient, we grew up on housing commission, and we needed money. I think the second type of entrepreneur is what I call a type two is somebody who worked for an employer for an extended period of time and very quickly realized that they were that employer's greatest asset, that they could recreate this business. They understood how the supply chain or processes worked and thought, no, I'm not going to work for this person anymore. I'm going to go out and replicate their business because I now have the skill set to do so. And then I think the most intriguing type of entrepreneur, the Elon Musks of the world, the Mike Kellett's of the world, actually just start a business purely and simply to solve their own problem. And then very quickly realize, actually, they're not alone in this problem. There's so many people out there that day in, day out, were dealing with the same shit you were, Mike. And suddenly, now you've given them an answer. So understanding those three types of entrepreneurs, what do you think are the benefits to being a type three, to being somebody that ultimately created a business around his own problem? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you, you kind of, there's a lot of things you cover there and there's a lot of things to unpack. And, you know, I'd kind of probably go back and say, I'm quite similar to yourself, you know, like, um, I'll often tell a pretty funny story that, you know, I used to be at school at 13 years of age selling, um, you know, lollies and stuff at break times. I'd go to like a local cash and carry and then I'd be there hustling. And, um, you know, I lost my dad at at 12 and kind of like he was very entrepreneurial and my mom was a single parent. And so, yeah, it was, you know, it was come from that, that hustle and that mentality to, to push forward and drive, um, and then there's types of, you know, there's, I guess there's areas in me that also fit in with that type two that you mentioned, you know, I've kind of like worked in a couple of commission-based sales roles and realized, you know what, Hey, like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, sort of the, the a big asset to this, to this company. Why don't I kind of set something up myself? So I'd kind of maybe argue and say there's a bit of all three of me in there, but definitely, you know, you kind of like highlighted, I've sort of um, made yeah, a problem that was for myself. And then I've taken that and turned it into a business. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's benefits to, to all three. Um, and I think like probably for me having that resilience from type one and then having that experience from type two, and then the input from type three has probably been the reason I've been quite successful because I've sort of dabbled my toes in a few different areas of entrepreneurship. So I kind of like yeah. see it from a few different perspectives, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I love it. I think because 
obviously I, I wasn't aware that you you'd lost your your father as a well as a preteen, and then yeah. being single parent raised, I'm sure mum was probably working her ass off just to give you the the basics as well. So it's kind of like it makes you realise that there is the the type one entrepreneur maybe gives you that hustle and grind, right? Get up, chase the day, go find your go find your dinner, you know. And then the type who brings the first hand experience and wisdom of, you know, even Howard Schultz went and worked in a coffee shop before he started Starbucks, right? He wanted to understand what was best practice in a successful coffee shop. And then I think number three gives you that true burning desire to continue to innovate because ultimately you're producing products with, with, with which you can personally benefit as well. Yeah, exactly. I think you just nailed it, bro. And I, and I like to think that, you know, there's obviously very successful um, entrepreneurs that, you know, diehard fit those specific categories. But yeah, I like to think that I kind of got, um, not the, not the best of both worlds, but you know, I had like a bit of a bit of everything inside there that that got me to the journey of of where I am today, and um, you know, definitely like like yourself with that type one. You know, I was very adamant at like um, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen that I didn't want to go to university. I didn't want to do a degree, like even though everyone at school was telling me, you know, you're never going to be anything unless you go to university and you're never going to do anything with your life unless you sign up for this university, like, da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, nah, stuff that. Like, there's not anything right now that I can look and say, hey, in three to five years' time, I want to be doing this as a job. And, you know, I always knew I was going to run my own business, but I guess I just never knew, like, what sector it was going to be in. And then that's, I guess... um you know, I, I never thought it would have been like selling brownies and cookies and stuff. Right. But yes. I think everything just led to that burning desire. And, and, you know, again, it's not about the financial side for me. It's, it's about the, the passion and the drive and the hustle and creating something for myself. Mm-hmm. And I guess that resonates from, you know, losing my dad and from losing someone that was such a role model and such an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial person. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was like, I, I felt like he never really, got to spread his wings and sort of like he he never pushed his potential to the limit. And that's why I want to sort of carry on the, the Kelly entrepreneurial dream, if that makes sense. And that's probably how the drive has been so um, successful from my side. Yeah. Nice, mate. Nice. I think sometimes um, when there's a greater purpose than just making money, you tend to make a lot more money. Um, yeah. so I've seen so many people get into business purely and simply for the purpose of profit. And if it's a profit first business, instead of a people or process first business, um, they quite regularly do not make it to year three or year five, you know, yeah. um, they just, they just go out of business so quickly. And something you said to me before really resonated around, um, episode six, uh, I spoke with Lee Rust, um, from safety line Jalusi, and he spoke a lot about the necessity for adversity. He says, anybody who's in the game of business that has never truly been in a moment where they've considered quitting or given up or felt like their back is completely against the wall, he said then he feels that they are at the moment underprepared for the yeah. true challenges that business will present to us, right? So would you say at the, in the time it probably wouldn't have, but reflecting now, what, 15 years later, do you think maybe losing your father at a young age was the adversity that created the strength and passion and drive and determination that you needed to ultimately get to be into the position you're in today? Oh, 100 million billion percent, you know, there's been, and, and not just that, you know, and again, like not, um, not trying to obviously 
cry out for a sob story. That's not me at all. If anyone knows me, I'm a very positive and, and self-motivated person. And, you know, I have suffered with um, depression and mental health, but no one would ever really know that look, you know, talking to me and, and whatnot, but definitely losing my dad at 12. And then, um, you know, even back to like, I was, I was six years old. I remember my mom and dad got divorced. My mom grabbed me and my brother and basically was like, pack all your things, you know, we're moving out of this house. Like my dad was an abusive father. Like, you know, there was a lot of negativity there. And I remember that from a very young age, you know, even, even like we almost got in a massive car crash where my dad sort of like both, you know, nearly killed both me and my brother, like when he was drunk. And there was, there was so many things that kind of happened and I went through. And I think definitely like that, you know, going through things like that in your life, um, it, it, it makes you, it, it makes you, yeah, like you said, it prepares you for what's going to happen. Right. And I like to think that everything that I've been through in my life, like has given me the resilience that you essentially need to have when running a business. And I think you just nailed it. You know, if, if, if people, if people are entrepreneurs, but you know, they've, they've always had money or they just had it handed down to them from next generation, like, fuck, it's going to be the biggest wake up call, right? Like when they get slapped in the face with, with the doors of, of running a business, because it is hard and it is difficult and it is the most like stressful, most like um, frustrating roller coaster of a ride, you know, where you like got, you've got ethics and morals on one hand, you've got financial on the other hand, you've got like staff to manage, you've got, you know, so much stuff going on. Yeah. And I think definitely the, there's a pattern and there's a, there's a phrase I like, which is, success leaves clues. And I think there's a lot of clues in entrepreneurs that have been through adversity that are so successful because they can really stick it to the man and be like, you know what? I've been through 10 times more hectic things than this. This is just another walk in the park, you know? For sure. And I hope everybody listening will understand this is not a chance to bash those people of privilege, right? Absolutely. hundred percent right now. You're right. From that position where your parents were affluent enough that they could um, create an opportunity for you to get a world-class education, to get a tertiary level education, to go on and maybe fund the start of your own business, things like that. Please don't think for a second that you're listening to two people that are bitter because we didn't, you know, that's, that's not what I'm suggesting. And now same from my end, bro. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. No, let, let me flip it on its head then, Mike. I think mine and your children will be quite privileged, right? They're going absolutely. to be absolutely, yeah, 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 hundred business owners, yeah. So my my kids will, yep, they'll go to a private school. They'll probably have a, a a brand new first car. They'll go on international holidays. They'll have their own little tinnies or jet skis, and they're going to be privileged little shits, right? So they may never face adversity. They don't have to sit like I did with my mother in the pitch black because our electricity got cut off and watch your mother cry because you simply can't afford to put lights on, right? That's, that's real life. Now, how then do you feel, anybody listening to this or our 16, 18, 21-year-old children in the future, how do you feel people could expose themselves to some level of adversity to some level of direct challenge so that they can create that strength necessary to keep winning in the game of business. Is there any ideas you have of what they might be able to do? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I, I think kind of, you know, as, as cliche as it is just, just pushing yourself to your, to your limit and also like stepping out of your comfort zone. So not, not kind of just been satisfied with, okay, you know, the business is turning over X amount of money, 
everyone's happy. All the staff are happy. No one's, no one's in any stress because, you know, like we've got inventory under control. We've got sales coming in, like push yourself to that next limit, buy a bigger warehouse, get a bigger premises, turn up the ad spend more, like push it to the absolute limit. Like, and, and then that's going to teach you what essentially you're capable of and what you can handle. And that's going to help you to sort of see, I guess the, you know, the, the fuel to the fire. That's how I always describe it. It's like everything in my life that's gone up to this stage of being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. has been fuel to the fire. And, and like you said, you know, obviously you said about our future generation um, of, of our children, mine and yours mm-hmm. is going to essentially grow up privileged. By the same time, I'd like to think that I'm going to make my kids bloody work for it. You know, they're not just going to get it handed on a silver platter. Like my goal is to give them the best possible start to life where they don't have to deal with, you know, their dad being an alcoholic abusive father, but that doesn't mean they're just going to have a bloody Mickey mouse ride. You know, they're going to work for it. I'm going to teach them that this is essentially, you know, you, in life you, you get what you put into it and nothing is gifted to you and nothing is given to you. But definitely I think for, for people out there that want to do, um, you know, want to, want to like teach themselves how to deal with adversity. You've got to really, really step out of your comfort zone and you've got to absolutely blast it. You've got to give it 110% and, and push it to the next level. Yeah. And I think for anyone listening, please don't think that these words are hollow from Mike, because you're one of the only people that I have spoken to so far on this process, episode number nine, you know, two and a half months into to this podcast that you're the only person I know who directly not only um, didn't batten down the hatches during March, during the the middle of COVID-19. It felt like everybody I was speaking to was laying people off. They were reducing people's wages. They were going on the job keeper. They were shutting down partnerships and relationships. They were canceling their subscriptions. And it was just like, everybody went into this doomsday mentality. Mm. So you decided to employ more people, increase the size of your space, buy a gym, release new products, um, increase your online and um, your Google ad spend and, and your, and your um digital marketing spend. So how does someone look at the darkest day that we've probably experienced in mine and your, you know, probably since 2008, right? Since we we were probably 17 year old kids. Um, This is the most challenging business environment or economic environment that we've been a part of. So I know you've just said that's what they should do, but you've already done it. Talk to me about sitting there and breaking off a massive check to buy a gym, which is legally not allowed to have a person in it until an indefinite date. How the fuck does somebody's brain say that's a good idea? Because it was a good idea, but at the time it must've been bloody hard to, to evaluate it and come to the answer that this is the sensible thing for me to do. Yeah. I mean, look, you're kind of right. And to be honest, this is the first time someone's laid it out and I've kind of thought, you know what, that was probably one of the bloody stupidest yeah no one's ever really kind of put it in perspective like that but you know for me like um <laughs> you know i i i've got a couple of vices i don't like drinking i don't like smoking i don't do drugs but you know i like gambling and for me i was like well you know a lot of people around me were putting money into stock market shares all that kind of stuff and and like you know at the end of the day yeah all the gyms were closed at this time, I think it was back in like March, April, at this time, everyone's saying, oh, gyms are going to be the last place to open. They're like bloody cesspits, you know, um, like 
they're probably not going to open till September, October, November. And there's me, you know, yeah, writing a check for this gym and, and bailing out one of my friends who was really struggling. But at the end of the day, it's all about the bigger picture, right? You know, I knew that, yeah, okay, um, maybe we can't open for a few months, but how cool is it that we're going to be, be able to kind of work on a gym as a bit of a side hustle in the background? And then we, we've got time, you know, everything is kind of like, I saw COVID as, as like, um, like a time stop. It was kind of like, everything paused in business. And that for me was like, wow, this is my time to get ahead on everybody. And this is my time to get ahead of everybody. That's kind of, yeah, like you said, laying off staff, you know, no one's releasing new products. No one's increasing ad spend. Like I got the highest return on ads we've ever had because everybody dialed down and we doubled down and dialed up. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's like that was our opportunity and that was our gift when I knew everybody, I said this to the staff, I said, look guys, everyone's sleeping right now. All the businesses are sleeping. Everyone's in survival mode. We're going to turn up the heat. This is our advantage. We've been on the back foot for the last three and a half years. You know, we've been a bootstraps startup business that started with $10,000 and a credit card and that was it. And we finally got an opportunity to like catapult ourselves into the next level and, you know, the gym made sense, the, the, the community, like, the, we, you know, we're going to turn it into a community-based gym. It's not like a big franchised health club. You know, it's not an anytime fitness. It's not like a world gym or anything like that. Not that there's anything wrong with those gyms, but we're creating a community-based um, fitness facility where we can leverage the amazing community that we've built in Macro and Mike and have an awesome place where people can essentially work out socialize and we've even put like a supplement store in there so it's it's basically you know the one and only retail store for macro mike in the whole of um australia or the world where the only supplements and the only health food products you can buy in there are macro mike and that's it so yeah brilliant for us, it was like yeah it was like look let's turn up the heat and everyone's telling me i'm bloody crazy but luckily laura my um my girlfriend who, you know, is, is on the same page and she gets the vision and mm. she, she puts up with all my bloody crazy ideas. <laughs> um, I thought she'd be the hardest one to convince. And I said, Hey, look, I've, I've done the, I've done the numbers. I've put it, I've put, I've gone through every single worst case scenario. You know, if the gym flops in six months, we've got an, a really big warehouse that we can move products into. I was like, if, if this doesn't work, we've got inventory that we can sell. We can sell the equipment. I was like, there's no negative scenario that could happen. And there's no other opportunity we're ever going to get for the rest of our lives where gyms are closed and they're going to be selling at this crazy price. So it was just a no brainer. I was like, let's just do it. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause perspective is everything, right? One, one man's crash is another man's treasure. One man's best day is another man's worst day, dependent on how they are perceiving it and what goals or objectives they set at the start. Right. And I remember going out for dinner. I didn't have this as one of my questions I wanted to ask, but I remember going out for dinner, uh, what are we, maybe six to eight weeks with, with, with yourself yeah. before and, um, in Palm beach. And I could really see that she has your back a hundred percent. She thinks she nuts. Uh, which you are, you know, she, she, she knows you've got crazy ideas, but she's going to walk into the trenches with you and do or die with you. So whether it be a life partner or a business partner, how important do you think it is to have every Batman kind of needs his Robin is what I'm kind of asking. Do you, how, how important do you think that is in the game of success? Yeah, bro, it's, 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 um, 
you know, there's, there's no denying I can, I can sit here and ramble about how hard I've worked and how much I've done and how much adversity I've been through. But, you know, like the reality is without Laura, um, you know, the business would have never got to where it is. And, she, and she's been the, the fundamental, um, you know, like glue that's held everything together. You know, she, she does um, so much stuff to help with the business, so much stuff to like keep everything, keep the wheels turning. And, you know, like you said, it, it's just having that, like when you're a sole director and when you're, you know, a, a lonesome entrepreneur, it, it's hard because you've got no one to kind of run stuff by. You've got no one to say, Hey, like, look, I've had this shit day at work. Like I need to kind of just like unpack it and go through it. Whereas like Laura gets it, you know, it's not like she's just working some normal job and then I come home and I'm like, Oh, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's like, we're, we're in it together. And I think it's really, really important. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that definitely couldn't work with their partners and they'd probably want to kill each other, which is <laughs> you know, completely fine as well. But like having that support network and, and for me, you know, I don't have like parents, you know, obviously I told you I lost my dad and then my mom sadly passed away two years ago with, with a brain tumor. So it's like, that's, that's my support network. And that's like who I kind of go to, to help keep everything sane and keep everything going. So I think it's very important for sure. Yeah. Amazing, mate. I love it. Well, I've only got a couple more quick questions because I could, I could talk to you literally all day, but um, yeah, I understand there's, there's so much for you, for you to, to get to and do, mate. But I, I want to understand from somebody who's at the absolute coalface of how the online versus retail sales environment or the online versus retail sales balance has been disrupted by this global pandemic. Because one thing that I um, looked at was that, you know, huge um, incline in home gyms, people purchasing uh, fitness equipment so they could create a, a home-based gym setup. And a lot of home offices, people now needing desks and chairs and computers and whatnot to work from home. And also a 67% spike in home improvements. Bunnings recorded a record month in the month of March. They'd never had as much turnover in one singular month as they did as March 2020. So with global online retail spiking 141% in a 60-day period, what happened in your business or in your industry? How did the online sales to retail sales environment change? Yeah, so I think I think what happened was, you know, we we kind of noticed a big shift in, um, I guess, like we, you know, we've got a big network of stores, right? We've, we've probably got Macro Mike in seven hundred and fifty to I don't know a thousand stores plus, like, and that creates like a big network of customers that are buying from several different channels. So obviously, you know, we've got our diehard Macromite customers that the only place they'll buy it from is the Macromite website because they love the experience. They love supporting us direct and whatnot. But then there's a big, big, big network of people that are going down to their local supplement store, their local health food store, their local supermarket, and they're also purchasing it. And what we found was that we basically had this big influx of people returning to the source, right? So everybody was like, oh, I can't go to the store. I can't go to the, the supplement shop. So everybody started buying internally from us online. So what happened was we had this big spike in online sales, but then on the flip side, you know, wholesale kind of slowed down as well. And then when we came out of COVID or if that's even a thing we're allowed to say, cause we're not really out of it now, but when we kind of came out of that first initial period and the curve flattened, it, it kind of like we still maintained it was crazy like we still maintained these like record breaking online sales but then we found that our wholesale then 
went back to where it was, but the online had kind of stayed the same from us turning the heat up so much. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was crazy. And then, yeah, just month on month, we're just, you know, breaking records, breaking records, breaking records and just keep pumping it. Wow. And is it, and since obviously, um, the flattening of the curve and the entry to what's looking like, I guess if I titled it the second wave so that people yeah. create some, some context to it, but are we seeing any changes? Are ye, did we uh, early June as we were able to go back to pubs and bars and, and shops and, and restaurants and cafes and these things, did you start to notice a shift again? Because I, I'd have to hold my hands up. I went and bought a load of stuff in the local shopping center, not because I needed it, but I was yeah, really craving the retail experience. Yeah, yeah. You know? sure. Did you see any of that? Yeah, I think definitely we, we did notice kind of like, I guess, what was like a, a steep curve upwards, mm-hmm. kind of like essentially just just stopped going up as rapidly, like a, you know, like a bloody rocket ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we noticed, yeah, like a definite sort of spike in the wholesale purchasing patterns of our um, wholesale customers. And that kind of like really, really had like a, so yeah, I think there was a definite shift where people started purchasing online and then I guess what probably happened was a lot of people realized, oh, cool, it's actually, it's actually better ordering online anyway because, you know, I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to go and bloody enter a supplement store, or a health food store, or a supermarket. I can just literally sit in my pajamas, order my macromite protein, the postman brings it the next day or the day after, and it's super easy, right? So I think there was kind of like a shift where, yeah, probably like yourself, people crave that experience of going into a store. So those people went back to buying the Macromite products from a store. And we kind of like kept a lot of, I guess, new people that were new to online shopping. And that's probably now their new habit is buying stuff online. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because it's, you know, the old saying, uh, old habits die hard. Yeah. And it's just, you ask some people, why do you do it that way? And they say, well, I've always done it that way. And then the second they try something different and many people are super adverse to change, right? But when change is thrust upon you by way of, of necessity, it quit very quickly becomes the norm. Yeah. Like I watched my, my mother trying to convince my mother to use an Uber application instead of getting a, a normal black cab in the UK, just <coughs> fried all of her brain cells. She just yeah. could not get her head around it. She's like, no, but I've always called triple two nine two. That's the taxi company. Yeah. Oh, so, um, yeah, I think there will be some people that not only have shifted from being a retail consumer to an online consumer, but they may never return. Yeah, I agree. I for sure. they, never, they never go back. So, man, I'm going to play. I've got three minutes before I've got to let you go. So, I've got three questions, and I want to sort of off the cuff, you know, 30 second responses for me, if that's okay. Um, if I ask you, in your opinion, for three to five of the most necessary attributes, that you see to be a commonality in successful people, what would they be? Um, hard work, good ethics, um, motivation, uh, teamwork, and um, self-belief. Yeah, amazing. And if I then said to you, um, I want to get my product into a thousand stores nationally, uh, namely I want to get it into like a Woolworths or a Coles, for example, how would somebody go about starting that process so they could break the ice and give themselves a potential of having uh, national distributors uh, storing, you know, or presenting their product. Yeah, man. I think, I think like, you know, without going too deep into it, like for, for us, um, 
it, it never was a case of us going out there and, and searching for these contracts. Like we, my, my goal was always to have like just macro Mike as an online business. But I think, you know, if you have a, uh, if you have a product that is fantastic, you'll have natural advocates going and telling those stores, Hey, you need to stop macro Mike. You need to stop macro Mike. So for us, it's all been organic. Like we've essentially, you know, we've just got all these stores organically. Yeah. That's not going to work for everyone. But I think if you've got, a good quality product in 2020 when everybody's going around word of mouth word of mouth it will happen organically you know if you're trying to force it in maybe you need to rethink your business model or maybe you need to rethink your product and go back to the drawing board and make sure it's an 11 out of 10 so that's probably the biggest piece of advice i'd give mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it, mate. And if I was to say final question then being, if somebody's listening to this today, they're like you and I, maybe not, you know, didn't, we're an A grade students, don't come from, um, you know, necessarily the, the best background or have a wealth of abundant opportunities staring them in the face. They want to start a business, but they're just scared ultimately, scared they'll fail, scared people will laugh at them, scared their friends and family will not support their decision. Um, what advice would you give somebody who's maybe sitting in that position where they have the, des the desire, but it's being overridden by fear? What, what would you say to that person? I'd say this, bro. I'd say, I tell you what's 10,000 times more scary, getting to 50 years old and saying, you know what, fuck, I never took that. I never took that step. I never gave it the opportunity. I never had that chance. I should have, I should have done it. I should have started my own business. That to me is a hundred times scary. So just get it done. And failing, yeah, yeah. So better, better. Almost the idea: better to have loved than lost, or better to have tried and exactly. failed. Than yeah, hundred percent. And what's what's the worst? What's the worst that could happen? You know, like just do it, just make it happen. I find it funny because for most people, if they started a business and failed, they'd go back to the job they've got today. If yep. moved to a different city or country and failed, they go back to the place they live today. So I find it quite funny that in so many life circumstances, your worst case scenario is the one you're already in. You're already living your own nightmare. Yeah. So why not dare to dream? You know. So like in closing, Macro Mike's gym, Macro Mike's supplements. Um, I want to come to the gym. I want to eat the supplements. I want to order them. Uh, where do I go? Who do I contact? How do I do that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, best place is just our website. It, you can just Google macro Mike will pop up. Otherwise macromike.com.au. Check out the Instagram. It's macro Mike with a zero. So M A C R zero M I K E. Um, macro gym is just on uh Cordham drive in Burley. So just behind rebel sport and 99 bikes. You can't miss it. It's bloody huge. We're going to have a big launch party. So everyone will be invited. Um, macro sucks is next door and yeah, check us out in your, you know, your local health food store, supplement store. If they don't stock us, just say, Hey, you need to have a word with yourselves. You don't stop macro Mike, give them a call and they'll make it happen. And, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Stay awesome. And thanks for having me, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in closing of that guys, just remember you've got a hardworking, honest person in your local community that is trying to make a difference. Yes, you can go and order your USN product to line the pockets of fat cat shareholders that are positioned somewhere around the world. But if you actually want to see where your money is going and want to see the difference that it's making in your local community, I encourage you to support local. Um, use Macro Mike because every person I've ever mentioned it to uh, after they've done it the first time, you know, uh, once, you, once you go macro, you won't go back. So um, enjoy it. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you for your insights and um, I look forward to having this chat again in the future thanks Jack that was um, that was a really nice way thanks bye mate bye bye